The Free Beer and Hot Wings Show Free Clip of the Day. used to fill me with so much anticipation oh, yeah. and patriotism and anticipation of McDonald's value meals being off price. <laughs> yeah. Maybe other prizes. Yeah, I always think this is the 23rd Olympiad. Which is probably like 1984 at this I'm point. I'm certain it is. <laughs> but that's the one I always remember because I was a kid. Well, America's first Olympics were held in one of the big buzzing cities of the early 1900s, 1904, St. Louis. I believe that was a problem for the world. Celebrating the centennial of the Louisiana Purchase, there was a problem that it was in St. Louis. I do not believe a lot of countries participated because of where it was. Probably. I mean, that wasn't a travel perspective. Yeah, not the easiest place to get to in 1904. And that's part of why we're going to take a deep dive into the historical abomination, which is the 1904 Olympic Marathon. I just learned a little bit about this yesterday, and I said, we got to spend some time on this. Uh, So uh, it starts, it's... uh, they tied the games to the World's Fair that year, celebrating the centennial of mm-hmm. Louisiana Purchase. Which was a big deal for us, probably not any other country. Certainly not. <laughs> yeah. The people we purchased didn't it from. didn't care that much. Yeah. Uh-uh. Uh, the games uh-huh. were largely overshadowed by the fair, which offered its own roster of sporting events, including the controversial Anthropology Days, in which a group of savages recruited from the fair's international villages competed in a variety of athletic feats, among them a greased pole climb, Ethnic dancing and mudslinging for the amusement of mm. Caucasian spectators. Thank, wow. That used to Thank be a God big thing. Dancing was after the word ethnic, because back then it could have been something completely different. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, so they thought, because I remember reading in Devil in the White City, which was about another World's Fair, that they were like, they really needed to get some pygmies for a display. Yeah. Pygmies were a group of people who were like, abnormally short and they would put them on like display at zoos yeah. things like that or they would take them traveling right. as a road show mm-hmm. so they uh saved themselves some hassle by just going to the olympic village and saying you look weird is that what you just read no oh <laughs> i thought you said they used members from visiting from the um ethnic villages that were from anthropology days which were um, part of the fair. So kind of, yes. And they took yeah. the people from those you know, displays and said, hey, come throw mud at each other and climb a greased pole. Mm-hmm. And the guy that's the French historian and the founder of the Olympic Committee wrote in his own notes, as for the outrageous charade, it will, of course, lose its appeal when black men, red men, and yellow men learn to run, jump, and throw and leave the white man behind them. Interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So the Olympics signal event, the marathon, was conceived to honor the classical heritage of Greece and underscore the connection between the ancient and the modern. The 1904 marathon, though, was less showstopper, more sideshow, a freakish spectacle that seemed more in keeping with carnival atmosphere of the fair than the reverential mood of the games. A few of the runners were recognized marathoners who had either won or placed well at the Boston Marathon. Or had placed well in previous marathons. But the majority of the field was composed of middle distance runners runners and assorted, quote, oddities. Uh, 
A polite description. If you could climb a greased pole, you could run a marathon. Now get in there. Sam Meller, A.L. Newton, John Lorden, Michael Spring, and Thomas Hicks, all experienced marathoners, were the favorites. Another American, Fred Lors, did all of his training at night because he had a day job as a bricklayer and earned his spot in the Olympics by placing in a special five-mile race at the Amateur Athletic Union. A a five-mile race? So he Mm. kicked ass at five miles and thought, hey. Twenty six, no sweat. Do five times that. Yeah, not so, a problem. They were really also, scraping for people. Yeah. Amongst the oddities in this Olympic marathon were ten Greeks who had never run a marathon. So you're Greek, you're in. Okay. So. Uh, two men from the Swana tribe of South Africa who were in St. Louis as part of the South African World's Fair exhibit, who arrived at the starting line barefoot. And a Cuban, oh, this is the guy, and a Cuban national and former mailman named Felix Carbajal, who raised money to come to the United States by running and showing his prowess throughout Cuba. And people be like, wow, you are fast. You did run far. Here's whatever money I can spare. That's what and entertainment then, was. Uh, he trekked the length of the Cuban island. And people are like, wow, that's far. I have no idea how far that come is. Come see the man who can walk I mean, some. The length is pretty far. <laughs> yeah. Upon his arrival in New Orleans... He immediately lost all of his money in dice mm. games and had to walk and hitchhike the rest of the way to St. Louis. <laughs> okay, well, walking. At five That's feet fun. tall, he presented a slight but striking figure at the starting line, attired in a white long sleeve shirt, long dark pants, a beret, and a pair of dress shoes. His pants had been cut below the knee by another competitor with a knife that he carried to okay. allow him more freedom to run. Boy, it seems like a lot of last-minute adjustments. Here he is, the outset of the marathon. <laughs> okay. The only thing that makes him look like an athlete is the number three painted on his shirt. Yeah. Honestly, that's what I ex- uh, I yeah. think all athletes look like from 1904. Yeah, they just so needed that number three on their weird shirt. at all. No. On August 30th, precisely at 3.03 p.m., President uh, David Francis, president of the Louisiana Purchase Expo Company, fired a starter's pistol and the men were off. Ladies weren't allowed to run. Heat and humidity soared into the 90s, and the 24.85-mile course, which is not a full marathon. Not quite a marathon. You're so close. Couldn't you find another 1.4 miles or whatever? No, no. One fair official called the most difficult a human being was ever asked to run. Wound across roads inches deep in dust. There were seven hills varying from 100 to 300 feet high. Now, Steve, I know you've run a marathon, not in France, as Mm -hmm. some have reported, but in Florida. Uh, do you think a 300-foot-tall hill is going to be a problem in a <laughs> Over marathon? A little Especially bit. Especially if there are seven of them. Some with brutally long ascents. In many places, cracked stone was strewn across the roadway, creating perilous footing. And the man had to constantly oh. dodge cross-town traffic, delivery wagons, railroad trains, trolley cars, and people walking with their dogs and other animals. Well, they really cleared the roads for this thing, didn't there they? Were only I think we should go back places. to that. Yeah, I, t- I agree. <laughs> there were only two places in the near 25 miles where athletes could secure fresh water from a water tower six miles in and a roadside well at 12 miles. So it's not like what people handing you water. No. Get your own. So for and- the last 13 miles, you're just on your own. But not just. Yeah. Wait. So but not just like, oh, here's the water tower. It's on the course. Did you sit like. 
No, no, six miles into oh. the into the uh, the no, race. No, they didn't have to run like a six mile loop <laughs> out of the way. Is there I, anything you understand? Today? I guess not. <laughs> I suppose that is not the case. And the water tower is where they keep the pygmies, right? Everything no. is crazy. It's so, it's James Sullivan, the chief organizer of the games, wanted to minimize fluid intake. He was like That's he, good, he yeah. set out as a goal to yeah. minimize fluid intake, yeah, you so they that. could test the limits and effects of purposeful dehydration. <laughs> okay. We allotted seven one. gallons for the entire. <laughs> so in the entire in race. the midst of this, they're doing war crime style experiments on yep. people mm-hmm. to see how far they mm-hmm. could push them. So yeah. as the runners started, cars carrying. Coaches and physicians motored alongside the runners, no doubt drinking lustfully from their canteens, Mm -hmm. kicking up dust and launching the runners into coughing fits. Uh, Fred Lors is a man who led the starters, 32 of them from the gun. But by the first mile, Thomas Hicks edged ahead. William Garcia of California nearly became the first fatality of an Olympic marathon when he collapsed at the side of the road and was hospitalized with hemorrhaging. The dust had coated his esophagus almost immediately oh and ripped God. his stomach lining. Oh, my God. Had he gone that. unaided for another hour, he would have bled to death internally. John Lorton suffered a bout of vomiting and quit. Len Tao, one of the South African participants, was chased a mile off course by wild dogs. <laughs> Oh my well, God. there, he made up the, the mile that it was short. Yes. Um, <laughs> Chased a mile by wild uh, wow. Can no That's one help this man? Way. They were shipped um, in from Memphis. Felix, part of it. Felix Carvajal, the Cuban postman who ran the length of the mm-hmm. of the Cuban island and mm-hmm. then spent all his money in a dice game in New Orleans My and ran in dress him. clothes, mm-hmm. trotted along in his cumbersome shoes and billowing shirt making good time even though he paused to chat with spectators in broken English. On one occasion, he stopped at a car, saw that its occupants were eating peaches and begged one from them. <laughs> Being refused, he playfully snatched two and then ran away while eating them. <laughs> I like how it's playful. He stole them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A bit further along the course, he stopped at an orchard and snacked on apples, which turned out to be rotten. Suffering stomach cramps, he laid down and took a nap. Sam he Meller, now in the lead, also experienced severe cramping. I'm just waiting for the point when you get to uh, on day three of the marathon. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, he slowed to a walk and eventually stopped. At the nine-mile mark, cramps also plagued Fred Lors, who decided to hitch a ride in one of the accompanying automobiles, waving at spectators and fellow runners as he passed. Like, good day, friend. I have given up. I'm riding in the Automato. Hicks, one of the early American favorites, came under the care of a two-man support crew at the 10-mile mark. He begged them for a drink of water, but they refused, sponging his mouth with warm, distilled water. Mm, nothing is as refreshing oh, as a sponge of hot water in your mouth while you're running water. through the dust-covered streets of turn-of-the-century St. Louis. Seven miles from the finish, still begging for water, his uh, handlers demurred. And what did they give him? A concoction of strychnine and egg whites. Oh. The first recorded instance of drugging in the Olympics. Strychnine <laughs> and egg whites? Strychnine in small doses was commonly believed to be a stimulant. And there, at the time, there were no rules for performance-enhancing drugs. Of course not. Oh, my God. Hicks' team also carried a flask of French brandy, but decided to withhold it until they could gauge his condition. Meanwhile, the old man, Fred Lors, recovered from his cramps and emerged from his 11-mile ride in the automobile. And 
One of Hicks handlers saw him and ordered him off the course, but Loris kept running and finished with a time of just under three hours. The mm. c- crowd roared and began chanting, An American one, USA! Alice Roosevelt, the 20-year-old daughter of the president, Theodore Roosevelt, placed a wreath on Fred Loris' head. Again, he rode 11 miles in a car. <laughs> yeah. And was about to lower the gold medal around his neck when a witness reported, Someone called an indignant halt to the proceedings with a charge that Loris was an imposter. The cheers turned to booze. Loris smiled and claimed, I was just kidding, and then ran out of the stadium. <laughs> Never to be seen again. <laughs> now, let's go back to Hicks. That's oh the guy with the strychnine coursing through his veins. Yes. Okay, so, and he's at like mile 18. He had grown ashen and limp. Why? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, when he heard Lors had been disqualified, he perked up and forced his legs to a trot. His trainers gave him another dose of strychnine and egg whites, this time with brandy. They fetched warm water and soaked his body and head. The bathing appeared to revive and quickened his pace, and over the last two miles of road, he was running mechanically like a well-oiled piece of machinery. Mm. He was already dead. His eyes dull and lusterless. The ashen color of his face and skin deepened. His arms appeared as weights. He could scarcely lift his legs. That's quite an opposite of what his handlers had said. Mm -hmm. At around uh, uh, believing that he began hallucinating in the final miles, believing he still had 20 miles to go. In the last mile, he begged them for something to eat. Then he begged them to lay down. The handlers, still riding in a car next to him, spouting fumes in his face. They gave him rotten apples. He was given brandy, but refused the tea he was begging for. Then they forced two more egg whites into his mouth. He walked up the first of the last two hills, then jogged down the incline, swinging into the stadium, tried to run, but was reduced to a graceless shuffle. His trainers carried him over the line, holding him aloft while his feet moved back and forth, and he was declared the winner of the marathon. Hooray. They carried him over and he won. (laughs) It took four doctors and one hour for Hicks to feel well enough just to get up on the podium to take the gold medal. He had lost eight pounds during the race. And he said, never in my life have I found uh, such a tough course. It was all eight pounds he didn't need, though. Yeah. Yeah. It was all the course that was tough. It wasn't all the other things. Strychnine, egg whites, and brandy. Oh, and car fumes and dust. What? A crazy um, wow thing, <laughs> and that <laughs> is why we need to include those things still to this day at a marathon. Marathons seem too easy. I see so many stickers on so many cars. Yeah, I'm tired of all the training. Do it like these guys. I agree. I think there should be no rules other than just simply distance. It seems just to work. route. Idiots get access to the podcast segment seventeen and watch the webcams. You can be an idiot too. Sign up at freebeerandhotwings.com.